Hi, I'm Mark Haywood and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. It's like when that American judge needed to define hardcore pornography and they said, I'll know it when I see it. I think the same can be applied to jokes. Comedy is hard. Even if you're the most hilarious person in your group of friends, the one who's constantly got them bent over double, if you were to step on stage with that material, you might flop. Even a professional can stand in front of an audience of people who've literally turned up for a laugh and miss each and every beat. And it's not just stand-up comics who have it hard. It's tough to come by a comedy movie that travels well and can stand the test of time. Even if you share the same culture as the people writing the gags, jokes can very easily get lost in translation. And as society becomes more culturally diverse and much of the content we view is beamed to us from the US, maybe jokes are becoming more difficult to land. Throw into the mix the era of cancel culture, where any joke can be taken out of context and land you a fine from the social media police. It's clear that comedians have plenty of rough waters to navigate. But is comedy really dying, as some have suggested? Is cancel culture enough to bring the genre to its knees? Will it one day become too difficult to make money in the box office from a comedy? Let's hope not. One place I believe that comedy will never die is at a good old-fashioned comedy club. And so today's guest is the founder of the West End Comedy Club, Liam Pape. Chapter 1 in need of re-socialising. The West End Comedy Club offers weekday performances from established and -and up-and-coming comedians on the circuit, with many using the London venue as a testing ground for their Edinburgh Fringe acts. And with the names that have appeared on the lineups, you'd be forgiven for thinking this club had been running for many years. But it's actually pretty new. And here's how it got started. So the West End Comedy Club uh, was set up last summer, around about July, August time, 2021, which was just as we were kind of coming out the other side of the pandemic. So a great time to get back into live events. And we run weeknight shows just off Leicester Square at this beautiful venue that when people come in, they say it's very New York style because it's got uh, like tables and seats and like sofas rather than just kind of the theatre style rows um, that you find at many other comedy clubs. So we run shows on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The show's on a... Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday are pro shows, which are mixed bills, and they usually have four comedians and an MC, and that will be everyone from people who have done stand-up for 30-odd years to people who are kind of just getting into their first few years into it and still kind of finding their comedic voice. And then on a Monday, we do previews for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and other tours that people might be doing later this year. Um, So it's just an opportunity for people to get in front of an audience and find out what's funny. We're recording this, Liam, in the middle of March. And ordinarily, well, I say ordinarily, take the last two years and throw that out the window. But ordinarily, there would have been a number of opportunities, particularly for London-based listeners in the London calendar for comedians to sort of practice what would eventually be their Edinburgh material. But things like Vault Festival have been, for the last two years, taken away. Have you been able to give homes, much-needed homes, to acts that wanted to use Vault as a bit of a springboard? Have you found people flocking to you now that you've got this venue up and running? 
We have indeed. So Vault Festival wasn't supposed to be cancelled this year. They actually had people booked and it was pulled probably about a month before it was due to take place, which also coincided with us adding Mondays and knowing that we just didn't want to do another mixed bill pro night and wanted to do something else. So kind of because it was easy and kind of just because uh, a lot of comedians demanded stage time, we decided to give our Mondays two previews. But it, it is terribly sad that things like Vaults Festival, for whatever reason, haven't been able to go ahead just yet. One of the things I've found as I've been tentatively going back to the theatre is the thrill of being in the auditorium and in the audience and watching live art. I've always been a fairly nervous comedy venue audience member because I kind of don't really want to get picked on because I wouldn't trust myself not to say something smart and then get outsmarted by, <laughs> by, by a comic. Is there a sense that at the moment, because we've all been craving live comedy, live art, live theatre, the audiences are considerably more on the side of the artist, the entertainer, the comedian. They want them to do well because we've been starved at this. Or are we as comedy audiences as brutal as ever in terms of heckling and booing? What, what have you seen in the, in the live performances? Uh, I'd say it's more the latter. I'm afraid that people have got... And it's not even that people have got more brutal since the pandemic. I think, and I've spoken to a few comedians about this recently, I think people almost need re-socialising. And when I say that, I mean that we've spent two years trapped inside with our thoughts. And I do. I, I've spent a year working from home thinking, you know what? That thought is actually quite a good thought. I need to share that thought with other people. So there's been a few cases since we started the club last summer where comedians have been doing not even like controversial material, but but just doing stuff about the pandemic. And people now have the urge to, to chip in and make their views clear on either like vaccines, lockdowns, but even things that are kind of non-controversial subjects. So we had um, a comedian doing a bit about her own relationship with the LGBT community. And there was an audience member who stood up and just disagreed with the concept of, and it's like, what are you doing? People have paid good money to sit and listen to the to the funny person on stage, not, not your opinion at the back. And... I mean, to an extent, comedians are great at dealing with hecklers and it's they, they can make a quick retort and then put you back in your place. But again, speaking to people in the comedy industry over the last few months, what's been a little bit shocking to us is just how people have been unwilling to back down. As in, they make their heckle, they, they get the funny put down by the comedian, but they're not doing it to heckle. They're doing it because they're trying to make a point. Or, or they, it's As I said, people just need to be re-socialised and remember that... You're part of an audience, like the yes, person on stage. The person with the mic, no. But apart from that, um, we've seen like great demand from people to get back out and see live comedy again, which is great because, like a lot of things in the art and theatre world, when people were locked inside, there's not much you can do. So I know a few comedians tried doing virtual shows on like Zoom and stuff like that, and some of them like had great fun. Others playing to like rooms where people are sat in their pajamas in their kitchen with like a straight face because I mean half of comedy is the atmosphere and the environment so yeah it, it's been great um to be back the notion we need to be rehabilitated back into a theater or a comedy club I, I can I can completely see what you mean by that and yes and I did listen in on a few zoom calls and 
I think there are a couple of things on this. You know, one, this notion of it not being the same, I think is is true. But then I think as an industry, we need to champion different routes to market. And no, it isn't the same. So stop comparing it. And I know a number of companies were extremely successful when they pivoted online uh, and did a huge amount. I know Mischief Theatre did a huge amount of stuff that was broadcast online and it allows you to reach potentially a much bigger audience. However, we have this notion of comedy as being actually either things like Live at the Apollo, in which case you're watching at home on a, on, on a weekend, or you're lucky enough to be in, in the Apollo, in which case it's huge, or an intimate comedy club like the one that you have set up and like the one that you're trying to champion, in which case you are essentially part of the act, part of the story, and potentially, if you can't keep your mouth shut, part of the joke, right? And, and that's, I think, yeah. one of the alluring things about going to live comedy is that there is the potential for the act to be very different every single night that you go. And, and, I, and I think, is that still there? Do you get that, that buzz when, when there is a comedian in the room with a live audience? It feels different, doesn't it? It feels completely different. And I think one of the joys of live comedy is, especially with clubs in, in London and around the country, is kind of buying your ticket, maybe knowing one name from the television, maybe one or two names from radio and TV, but then seeing something completely new. And this comes back to your point about different routes into comedy. So at the moment, and partially because of the pandemic, it seems that there's a number of young comedians who've almost started their comedy career on TikTok, which was, I'm not quite sure whether they were like intending to be comedians first or just, again, happened to be locked inside for a year and thought, "Mm, I quite enjoy making funny videos with this kind of crossover to a stage quite well. But yeah, seeing kind of different variety and and, uh, the whole diversity of like musical, alternative, new, young, TikTok-y comedians. And I think that is part of the joy of live comedy. Chapter two, my 60 seconds. To a comedian, the audience can either be their downfall or their salvation. If you're gelling with an audience, the job's easy. If you're hitting friction, then it can go downhill very quickly. So is there a secret source? When you're playing on the circuit and you're constantly facing a carousel of different audiences, how do you set yourself up for victory each time? And here's where I make my admission. I've tried stand-up comedy. I did a class in Los Angeles spending time trying to perfect the craft in order to deliver just one 60-second routine. And it was the longest 60 seconds of my life. I have to say, we do not give comedians the respect they deserve. No. I mean, you can go to any open mic night in the country and see the difficulty it is to come up with a funny one minute, let alone five minutes, ten minutes, anything past that. In terms of how people put stuff together, I think the best kind of observational comedians I've spoken to will always be the people who you least expect them to be. They're not the ones who are the life of the party. They're the ones who sit at the back of the party with a notebook watching other people and making little stories in their head of, oh, wouldn't it be funny if that person did that? Oh, that person's got a bit of a funny trait. How how can that be molded into something larger, something that has a punchline at the end of it that you can tell on a stage. But it very much depends on the comedian. 
I mean, again, was working with a young comedian a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she arrived at the gig and she was like, I've just written some material on the tube. I'm going to test it out. Let's see how it goes. So maybe it's a little bit like how um, how yesterday came to Paul McCartney, where the great story is that he woke up one morning and he just had the lyrics for yesterday in his head. Maybe some comedians operate like that. I think on the writing process, though, I was thinking about this this morning and I think there's almost a few good lessons from journalism that, that you can kind of plug into writing stand-up comedy, which is journalism is all about conciseness and clarity and expressing things in as few words as possible while still making the point. And I think a few comedians, not to name names, could learn stuff from that, essentially, which is if a story's taken too long to tell, if you're not getting enough punchlines in, if there's not enough laughs in there, then you need to like work on the material and almost make it more condense almost and, and increase the, the laughter to story ratio but that being said an important thing to comedians as well is staying true to your own voice so if part of the way you are and part of your comedy persona is explaining things in a certain way or telling stories in a certain way then you also don't want to throw that out the window just to be punchline 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 but again it's about finding that balance because if you don't have any punchlines you're doing a ted talk Earlier, Liam, you used the word controversial. I'd like to hang in that space for a, for a while, if I can, because what one person finds funny is somebody else's invective on Twitter. And we are a very polarized world at the moment. There is a lot of hate out there. There is a lot of anger out there. And there's also a lot of misunderstanding as to whether a joke is funny. And we're very quick to take offense there are more than enough examples um, for me to quote, but one that has come up this year has been all over the news is, is Jimmy Carr's latest Netflix routine in which he has been hauled over the coals, not for the first time in his comedy career, about what he said. I don't necessarily want to give air to the joke that he used, but it is difficult, isn't it? A, comedy can be very, very controversial. I remember... A friend of mine directed a documentary called The Outcast Comic in 2016 for Sky Arts about Andrew Lawrence. And he had a very, very famous, as you'll remember, blow up about just a Facebook post that just went viral for all of the wrong reasons. And in it, Al Murray says he talks about the fact it's very hard to know where the line of acceptability is. And the quote he uses in the introduction is, you only find out where the edge is when you fall off. How much of an issue is that? You know, you, you're running this comedy club. It's great that you want to give audiences and comedians a platform and entertainment. But the risk is pretty high, isn't it? The risk of somebody saying something that is offensive that then embroils you and the club. You know, how do you how do you manage that risk on a Monday night? You know, when, when it's a school night, you know, <laughs> nothing controversial is supposed to be happening on a Monday night. And yet here you are, you know, one joke away from being cancelled. Gosh, where to start? So so I, I think the main thing is that context is important. So with all these examples of people being quote unquote cancelled, I think context is key. So with uh, Jimmy Carr and the, the Netflix special, the horrific joke he told was part at the end of his special that he prefaced it by saying, these are a bunch of jokes I'm going to tell to try and get cancelled. So then when you take one of those jokes out of context and put it on Twitter and then try and, I hate this word, but try and quote unquote cancel him, then 
I don't know. I, I just imagine kind of Jimmy Carr sat in his mansion. I presume he lives in a mansion. Just kind of laughing, being like, well, they realise that they're being the butt of the joke by trying to cancel me because that was the whole point of the... So, yeah, context is key. And for, for me, the thing about kind of Andrew Lawrence slash right-wing comedy was the real world is very different to Twitter. And like a lot of these things, people talk a big game on Twitter. But I saw Andrew Lawrence like um, probably about a dozen times over the last five years from him just performing at different clubs. And it was only maybe about six performances in that maybe one of the comedians kind of rolled his eyes and said, or it was she in this instance, said, oh, he's a right-wing comedian. Because when he went on stage, he he barely did any right-wing material. And that was often a theme. So I, I think the thing that makes Jimmy Carr a little bit different to comedy clubs in general is that in instances like Jimmy Carr, that's his tour, people have paid money to see him. They kind of know what they're getting. Hence why when he made this horrific joke on his tour, no one who was there tweeted out immediately after saying this is horrific. Even when the Netflix special came out in December, it was a whole month after that before the controversy hit Twitter, which was bizarre anyway but the point i'm making is the difference is comedy clubs a lot of the time you don't know who's going to be on it'll be people who will challenge your views it'll be people who are doing all different types of comedy as i said earlier and i I think comedians respect that too and know that they're going in kind of cold to an audience so they're thinking hmm should i do my most controversial material and potentially alienate half the crowd or should i do not apolitical but political material which is funny and I think it comes back to what's funny is funny, but then I suppose it's easy for me to say, I don't know, it's, it's like when that American judge needed to define hardcore pornography and they said, I'll know it when I see it. So I think the same can be applied to jokes. Um, I, I, I'll know a good joke when I hear it because chances are other people will be laughing as well. <laughs> Chapter three, uncancelable. So what is the future of comedy? Is cancel culture its death knell? Dave Chappelle has been cancelled many, many times. At a certain point, you've got to stop saying cancelled. Postponed, maybe? When you turn up to a horror movie, you expect to be scared. If you show up to a Frankie Boyle concert, you expect to be shocked. Comics, like any artist in any genre, need to deliver the material that's expected of them to give their fan base the hit that they're looking for. And while social media may be making that more difficult, plenty of people are still turning up to see these comedians. It turns out that cancel culture might not have the influence it claims. Cancel culture is a strange one because especially in the American comedy scene, comedians have seemed to make that their brand, which is I've either been cancelled or I'm uncancelable, but then they still have these sellout national tours because there is almost a culture now of people who hear the words cancel culture and and are drawn towards it because they think it's all about free speech. And it's a a complex issue. And I think cancel culture means different things to different people. But kind of just going back to the more controversial material point, we we had a headliner called Finn Taylor a few months ago who has done, if I got news for you, and quite a bit of television, and the MC came to me at the interval before Finn was due to go on, saying, oh, the, the crowd's a bit timid this evening. They're just, they're just a bit like quieter compared to usual. I'm not sure how Finn's stuff's going to go down, because Finn 
he, he's a bit of a edgier comedian. And the, the MC was maybe rightly so a bit nervous. Anyway, Finn went on stage and absolutely smashed it for 20 minutes. Like the, the crowds were roaring with laughter. And yes, his stuff was edgy and he, he did, oh goodness, he, he did stuff about like Hitler and I can't remember what the punchline was. But again, it was very, very good and very, very funny and very well told. And I think even though people hadn't paid to have to hear like these specific jokes, I think sometimes people are laughing out of almost surprise and almost laughing at, oh, are, we, are we allowed to laugh at that? There's almost for some people, especially when you're watching live comedy and you're not, let's say on Twitter or online, there, there, there is a joy in hearing everyone else laugh or hearing some people laugh and be like, oh, are, are we allowed to, to laugh at that and try to figure it out in your head and read the room and the rest of it? I don't want to brag. But um, I was having a pint with uh, Kevin Bridges uh, a few <laughs> a few weeks ago, and he was doing a run of shows at the Soho Theatre, warming up material, and he he was in this like strange kind of predicament, which was for his upcoming tour, he's been trying stuff that's a little bit more edgy to what his audience is used to, and he said to me that he's been doing comedy for twenty years, and to him he can almost hear the different types of laugh. So he can hear like the typical belly laugh that he's used to. But he said for the shows he was doing at the Soho Theatre, that there was just something a little bit, something a little bit different about the, the laughs that people were doing to the more edgy material. And he now needs to decide to himself, is that the kind of laugh he wants to go for? Or should he kind of go back to what he knows is safer and what his audience know him for? But in his words, he was almost... um going for a more Ricky Gervais-esque style of humour, but he's not sure if he likes those kinds of laughs that he gets back from the audience. I think there's a huge lesson to be extrapolated for the audience of this show there in that identification of your audience is key because if it's not the laugh, the specific laugh that he is looking for, maybe that isn't where his audience lies. I mean, I have watched a lot of Kevin Bridges. I would argue there's plenty of edge in his stuff already without the need for it but i'm not kevin bridges i and i would watch anything that he did and you can kind of vote with your remote control can't you now these days if you if, if you aren't interested but that's really interesting if that's how he's developing as a comedian artist that he's trying to work out where his audience is and it, the audience will either go with you uh, your reader um your viewer will mm -hmm. either go with you or they won't and i think as an artist you probably do develop the jokes that, for example, Billy Connolly would have told in his early years would have been secondary to him playing the banjo or playing some kind of ukulele or something like that. And over time, he became this stand-up artist that would talk for two and a half hours and never really complete a story. You know, so I think, <laughs> I think you know, I think as artists, if we're not if we're not moving forward and learning from it, we're not really growing, and we can become very very stagnant. And so, on that, Liam, can we talk about the future of of comedy and all these great young stand-ups that you're seeing coming through the ranks in addition to the amazing veteran circuit that we've already got what hopes do you have for the future are you are, do you feel that this whole thing is in really really safe hands are you encouraged by what you're seeing and, and can you maybe give us one or two people that we should be looking out for that we can say i remember that i saw you at West End comedy on a Monday night back in 2022. <laughs> what, what, what are your hopes for the future? I am very positive about the future of comedy and specifically live comedy. It's been fantastic, as I say, since the pandemic, seeing how many people 
on a bloody Tuesday night are willing to go out and, and fill a venue and have a good time watching essentially people just tell jokes for two hours. In terms of the, the future of comedy more widely, I think it's been great over the last few years that Netflix has really kind of sunk their teeth into comedy and supported so many comedians by giving them Netflix specials or supporting new sitcoms or light entertainment shows. I think the other networks and especially American networks just need to make sure that they're not lagging behind. So, I I mean, I think about this probably too much because it's not really anything to do with me but NBC um, produces Saturday Night Live in America but then apart from that their comedy often at the moment and new comedy that they're commissioning is really quite poor so I always thought that Saturday Night Live was a great opportunity for comedians to make a name for themselves and then move on and do bigger and better things because that's what comedians in America who've gone through Saturday Night Live have traditionally done but I worry that in recent years they and I do think this is the network's fault. They just haven't been given the opportunity to take that next step and start doing bigger movies or get their own sitcom or... And, I, and I'm not quite sure the network's hesitation to that. My worry is that it'd be data-based and that's just reflecting audiences' attitudes. But then, as I say, the flip side to that is that Netflix is commissioning a ton of comedy at the moment and it seems to be going down really well. As for people who you should keep your eyes peeled for... I think one would be a young man named Finley Christie, who, not quite sure where he came from, he just kind of popped up in a club that I was at a few months ago, did literally, uh, I think, a seven or ten minute set, and it was incredible. And I've, I've never seen anyone that young come onto the scene that strongly with that many just kind of solid lines, one after another, and just incredible confidence as well. Ania Magliano is another young comedian who's doing really wonderful stuff at the moment, as is Michael Odawale. But both, or all three of them, really incredible comedians. And go follow them on social media and come see them at the, the club. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Liam. We wish you all the very continued success um, and very best of luck with West End comedy. Thank you very much, Mark. Conclusion a massive thank you then to Liam Pape for today's episode and to recap. What have we learnt? We've heard it from Sophie Haydock and now we've heard it again today from Liam. Whether it's writing for simplicity or holding mock interviews with your fictional characters, it pays to take a journalistic approach to your writing. If you're having a hard time creating believable characters, if you can't quite get their traits or their mannerisms correct, then take a notepad out with you and do a bit of people watching. If it works for observational comics, then it can work for you too. Just don't be too obvious about it. And finally, as we've said many times, the value of art is whether it finds an audience, not where that audience is, how big it is, or how much they're prepared to pay. Spaces like TikTok are democratising the arts. Go after your audience in your own way and reinvent the path if you have to. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. Let me know what lesson you've taken away from this week's episode by sending an email to info at behindthespine.co.uk. We're also on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine and Instagram as at Behind the Spine Podcast. Goodbye for now. Stay safe and keep writing. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. 